I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm gonna share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm gonna tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. All right, guys, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Today, I am with Craig Barber, the CEO of Restaurant Growth Services. And Craig has been in his current role since October 2017 with responsibilities that include leadership for the O'Charlie's Restaurant and Bar, 99 restaurant and pub, casual dining brands, and until August, the Village Inn and Baker Square family dining brands. His responsibilities include over 250 restaurants, holy cow, in 24 states. Craig began his restaurant career in 1983 with Shoney's after six years with Ernst & Young. Well, we're going to have to talk about that shift. He left Shoney's in 1997 after serving as Chief Administrative Officer and Chief Financial Officer with responsibility for all staff and administrative functions of $1.3 billion um, in revenues. The New York Stock Exchange restaurant company that operated and franchised over 1,475, 950 company-owned multi-concept restaurants in 34 states. Prior to his current role, he most recently was a Denny's franchisee and served for 10 yep. years as the chair of Denny's Franchisee Association Board when he led a collaborative brand effort for alignment of priorities to create value and improve performance. Born and raised in Nashville, his father served in the military for 43 years and was his mentor for leadership. Those insights led to the philosophy of people first followed by profits while maintaining commitment to personal fulfillment for team members. I mean, it is safe to say you have some multi-unit restaurant experience, huh? Wow. Lots of brands and <laughs> lots of fun. You know, the more brands, the more fun. I don't know sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting uh, journey. Yeah. I mean, so let's, let's start with the Ernst & Young stuff. I mean, that typically those are two paths that, you know, don't really cross. Not many people make the leap from being accounting to working in the restaurant business. So how'd you get from one to the other? Well, you know, my, my focus early on, again, my father was an amazing leader and I learned a lot about leadership from him. And so my goal was always to be in a leadership role. And I felt like particularly given uh, you know, uh, his service to the military was great on one hand for our country and, and for him and, and for what I learned. But the other part of that was economics weren't uh, very high. And so for me to have an advantage, in my view, I needed to get an accounting degree become a CPA and then sort of leapfrog um, into a, a better role than I might have otherwise taken a longer time to get to. So so public accounting was something that was fun uh, mm. to a point. Uh, the hours were were interesting and, and some of the opportunities were interesting. But each of those things that I went through in those six years uh, taught me a lot about business uh, controls. Uh, the importance of internal controls and yeah. cash and cash management and making sure you knew where the cash was. And so um, uh, I, I've spent the first several years auditing insurance companies, which was mm. very detailed and, and very uh, uh, just you know, a lot of diligence in that. And then I transferred over uh, to uh, the restaurant business and, uh, and Shoney's Inc was my, one of my clients and uh, worked there. And, and so, I had the opportunity to transition out of public accounting at a good time for me, I think personally and professionally, and then into um, a treasury role at, at Shoney's, which 
again, was key for me because I really didn't want to be an accountant. <laughs> I didn't yeah. like debits and credits. I understood yeah. them, but I didn't like doing it. And so yeah. that was a great opportunity. And uh, Shoney's at that time in, in the early 80s was recognized as one of the best operating companies in the restaurant business, uh, had lots of growth going. And uh, for me, I thought, well, I'll just go here and see what I can learn, A, about business and, and leadership and maybe restaurants. And then ultimately stayed for 14 years. And that was a, a quite a, quite an interesting experience through that. So I would imagine that a company like Shoney's at that time was, you know, well, any restaurant really appreciates somebody coming in and getting a hold of what's going on. So you're bringing that, that organizational uh, financial background, particularly in the accounting field to bring everything together so they can really read those numbers. Was that really, well, what were they, what were you charged with doing when you came on board with something like that? Well, I focused initially on treasury. I also did the financial reporting, which mm. forced me into the numbers. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, you know, in, in order to, you know, prepare information for the board and prepare the information for the investors, we were at the time over the counter, uh, then NASDAQ, then New York Stock Exchange. So you were always mm. thinking about how to best position your performance and explain what was going on. We had Shoney's, Captain D's, Lee's Famous Recipe. We had a a little casual dining chain, Pargo's. We had a, a steakhouse fifth quarter. We owned our own food distribution company, had three distribution centers. Wow. We had our own manufacturing. We we ground our own beef. We cut our own steaks. We, we oh, made our own yeah. salad dressings. And so there was this very multifaceted enterprise that, um, you know, again, you had to learn a lot uh, about each of those pieces, but then also um, how to explain those and, and articulate what was going on in them. Were they on track, off track? Yeah. Are they growing? Are they not growing? Everything that was really focused in. And the good part for me was we were growing as a business. We were building new restaurants. We were doing new things. Um, and then uh, in, in the late eighties, we did a, uh, what they called a leverage recapitalization. So the two founders, uh, we paid a big, we had uh, the stock was 22. We paid a $20 dividend. Mm. Wow! Okay. Uh, so they got liquidity for uh, all sorts of reasons, and uh, the company stayed public. Uh, and actually, the stock traded at you know six dollars the day after mm. the dividend, so it was about a four dollar pickup along with the liquidity. So again, very interesting yeah. public company sort of financing pieces, but also it was always about understanding the business. And I had the benefit of being around some great operators. Um, also had the interesting um, uh, in the 14 years, there were five different CEOs. So I got to observe what happens when you have a shift in CEOs and how mm. that affects or doesn't affect a, the overall organization and b the restaurants and the operations. Yeah. It was really fun. Wow. I mean, I, I would imagine at a restaurant group that size or an enterprise that size change of leadership at the top in even in that my five, CEO changes in what 14 years that did that how does that trickle down to the actual operation I mean I know there's a lot at your level that maybe some folks are missing but the change in leadership I mean and you bring somebody new on board there what what is that transition like for for you guys well I, I, it 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 generally affects lots of pieces I, I think it affects the overall organization and who the the leaders are and, and that's yeah. been the case here we can talk about that a little bit later but mm -hmm. uh you know, the organization, leadership, the leadership style, the culture um, and the focus. And then as it relates to the restaurants, um, you know, I got to watch and observe people come in and say, well, we're going to go do this. No, no. And the next one come in. No, no. We're going to go do that. And you were like, how can yeah. two people in a leadership role be so 
opposite and, yeah. and what they think. Um, and so the, the, you know, the best of any of those leaders would always focus in on, uh, for me, uh, the consumer, who is our consumer, who really is our consumer, not who do we want them to be or who do we think they are, who are they? And then the second part was, what about our team? And, and, and are we giving them the resources and, and everything they need to do what we think will make the company money? And mm -hmm. so balancing the, again, that's why you, when you said that the people profits and personal fulfillment, mm -hmm. for me, it was always about the people guests and, and our team because one without the other doesn't work. Right. Um, but what are your capabilities and, and do you have the right equipment and do you have the right facility and do you have all those things for your team to be successful? The flip side was, you know, what does the guest think about you and, and, and what do you want them to think about you? And can you move them to a different place and can right. you incent them to come more, or get them to spend more money when they come. And how does that work in, in that particular brand? And so, you know, we had Shoney's, which was a, a, a coffee shop back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's called Miss Gale family dining, or, or, you know, I, I love all these acronyms or, or descriptions we have that the consumer goes, what are you talking about? It's Shoney's. Um, or for us, it's Oak Charlie's, you know, we think we're right. one thing and the customer says you're Oak Charlie's. That's, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Casual dining segment. Right. Uh, and so it was fun to see that and, and uh, experience that and, and get the benefit um, without being in the hot seat um, to see, again, some elements in each of those individuals was really uh, good. And then there were certain things that didn't quite work out. Um, right. And so it, as things changed and shifted for me there, it was time to go. Uh, public company life is interesting uh, and I respect those who can do it. I like working for private equity a whole lot more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that, that's a, that's a, a lot of responsibility though. When you have that private equity money kind of hanging over your, you know, looking over your shoulder, what you're doing, but you touched on something interesting there, not, and you said not who we want our customers to be, but who they actually are. I mean, I think that's important because so many times with these emerging brands that I work with, they're like, you know, well, we are this now, but maybe we could be a college rush. Maybe we'd be, we'd be good in a college town, or maybe we have a better, you know, in an urban setting. Maybe, how do you, I mean, talk about how you guys identify that customer and then maybe find, find that customer in other parts of the country. I think it goes back to just, you know, you know, again, it, it, it's a little bit of a stretch, but it, it's when we talk about within our industry, we talk about family dining, fast, casual, casual, uh, polished, casual. Mm -hmm. We use all these terms and we tend to think as, as about our customers in those sorts of terms, our right. customers are looking for a place to eat. Um, they have a choice they can eat in or not. And if they're not, then they have a choice and then have lots of choices. So, uh, you know, most of that I think really goes down to, uh, just sitting in restaurants and, and talking to customers and listening to customers and, and not trying to lead them to where you want them to be. You know, don't you want, you know, yeah. a, a fried pickle, uh, yeah. don't you want a fried avocado? Don't you want yeah. a fried Oreo cookie? Uh, don't, don't you think that would be great? And the customer's going, uh, mm. maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, I, I do think it's hard. And of course there's lots of firms that will give you intelligence and research. And, and you know, if you've been in any focus groups, you've, you've, you've probably been in too many, mm. uh, but, uh, but you do have to listen to the consumer and, and, and then more particularly, I think, watch their behavior. You know, I think that's the benefit for us with, yeah. with, you know, limited time offers and, and things that we do to, to test 
um, you know, where are the consumers going? What are they thinking? Where are they spending their money? What are they willing to spend on? And you know, if we want to do a, you know, a bone-in ribeye, mm -hmm. it's expensive in the context of our overall menu at O'Charlie's. But we have found that our consumers really like that mm. uh, because they don't want they want to come to our restaurant to get that as opposed to a restaurant where it would be ten dollars more. Right. Uh, and so finding those little spots um, uh, where the consumer's behavior tells you what they really want, not what you think they want or what you think you heard. Yeah. And you do that through testing, right? I mean, you can only find it through, through testing. So now you left Shoney's in 1997. Where did you head after that? Um, started working with the company. Um, again, part of part of the good and the bad of my experience is I, I spent a lot of time in turnarounds and, and, and restructurings and, yeah. and challenges. Um, I like that it works with my head, and, and um, apparently I must uh, enjoy it too much because I keep <laughs> doing it. But um, I, I went to a company called Phoenix Restaurant Group. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, was the largest Denny's franchisee. Had about ninety-seven Denny's. Also owned ninety-two Black Eyed Peas, wow. um, and. Uh, so it had the family dining, the casual dining, uh, very challenging environment, very, mm -hmm. you know, lots of issues. And, and that really got me into the Denny's brand, um, where I stayed until, uh, 2016 and, uh, worked in it, you know, as an executive, then worked in it, you know, as a, as a franchisee managed, you know, different numbers of, of restaurants mm -hmm. through that time. Uh, and, and so it was really about, you know, probably, the Black Eyed Pea was a great brand, uh, never quite had the capitalization uh, that it should have had uh, to be successful. The Denny system was easier to capitalize because you had this big, massive yeah. uh, international brand. Uh, so it was easy to attract capital and then and work through that. So you're you're like the fixer. You got like a, you got like, you got like a, you, you it's like either you whether you want it or not, you're coming you're coming to fix it. So uh, I, I can see that being an attractive position. Well, it's it's got its challenges, and and you have to have a certain uh, fortitude uh, for it and an energy for it. I mean, I, right. you know, it's complicated, it's complex, and, th and there's never it's never easy. Um, and in the, the current situation, again, lots of complications yeah. in terms of leadership, uh, strategy, brand, uh, brand execution, operational execution, supply chain. You, you but you have to figure out uh, what's your framework for that and how you're going to manage through that and process through that. So I, you know, again, I think that's part of that, uh, the benefit of, of having the uh, accounting background and the auditing background and the kind of systematized programmatic, you know, run the project, complete the project, do it again, do it again, do yeah. it again. That's a good perspective. So you were actually also a, a franchisee of Denny's as well. So you were kind of like on both sides of the coin there. Yeah, we were, um, we were franchisees. Um, and then Denny's was unique because it was uh, it's it's gone up a bit, but at the time they were transitioning from less than fifty percent franchise to ninety percent franchise. Mm -hmm. They viewed that rightly so as beneficial to their market value. Uh, you know, it's it's better to have an annuity than than operational risk uh, from a public market perspective. So they did that. IHOP had already done that. And uh, and so we were the beneficiaries of that and, and, and ran through that. And then uh, they had a franchise board because it was 90 percent franchise. And the franchisees, interestingly, in Denny's um, had very different franchise agreements over all these years. But ultimately, the, the key point for us was always that we had um, uh, more control over the supply chain than in any other franchise brand I'd ever seen. And so 
the franchise community uh, at large vote votes for 10 members. I got voted in in 2003 and then in 2006 got uh, elected by my peers to be the chair and did that for 10 years. Lots of fun, um, yeah. lots of challenges. There was a CEO transition in the midst of uh, those those 10 years. And um, I think the board uh, at Denny's made a good choice with John Miller. Uh, give him a shout out and an endorsement, but uh, yeah, yeah. a good man and, and has done a great job there. Um, as they've processed through um, uh, you know, some challenges that they had where they were focused on more on compliance than the consumer. And I think that that shifted greatly uh, mm -hmm. and then getting their right um, consumer proposition, the 2468 menu that they rolled out uh, really was a home run um, and, and doing a great uh, you know, positioning for them against, again, who their consumer was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that matters. So in terms of challenges, uh, probably safe to say that last year was uh and we're still kind of in it one of the more difficult challenges for restaurants um when you have this many units under your supervision and talk to me what, what it was like i mean across the country different levels of shutting down and all that i mean how, how did you guys even wrap your arms around this from day one well um we call it the unimaginable mm. uh, we always that was really the kind of the very first kind conversations we have with our operators. Look, look, folks, this mm. is unimaginable. We none of us would have believed on January 1st of 2020 that someone have come, would have come in and said, no customers allowed inside your restaurant. Now go now go to and and yeah. so um, uh, so that was, um, uh, you know, our framework for everything we did. Um, I will also tell you, we, we embraced and we talked about the um, the Stockdale paradox, which was got famous, uh, more famous, uh, I think, uh, with Jim Collins' Good to Great book, where uh, Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, and his focus was on, you know, make sure that you don't confuse the reality in your optimism um, with the reality of where you are. Hmm. So be real about where you are. Now, hmm. don't don't lose hope. And he talked about Stockdale talked about how prisoners of war would. Um, they would think they were going home by Christmas. And if they didn't go home by Christmas, then they lost their will and they, they, they didn't necessarily survive, which was tragic. But, but they, but the focus of, of the Stockdale paradise and as Jim Collins talked about was embrace the brutal facts. And so we had to embrace the brutal facts. We don't have any guests inside our restaurant. Now what? Uh, so our focus became simply sales, all about sales, find sales, get sales, do sales. Mm. We had made decisions and this is another part of our lessons and learnings. We had made decisions in 2018 and 19 that we had no idea at all were going to help us in 2020 and with the COVID pandemic. Hmm. We had uh, half of our old Charlie's didn't have curbside um, takeout delivery segmentation. So you you'd come in the front door to get your, your takeout. Well, we had half of them that had a designated specified side entrance and then half that didn't. So we had done that. Uh, we had changed our kitchen technology and we had uh, implemented CTX ovens, uh, a set of three ovens with six uh, rails total that allowed us to cook our food faster, uh, more mm. consistently um, and, and right uh, every single time and improved our speed of service. Well, we didn't know how that would impact when we didn't have customers. So we're, we're surviving off of off premise sales 
and, and off-premise sales are growing from you know 12 and 15 percent to 30 percent of our prior sales to 60 percent of our prior sales and so all of that activity was taking place with a very limited crew um, and a lot of our management team working uh, extraordinary hours but again the technology in place allowed that to flow through and us to execute so we had done lots of things uh, that we didn't know we needed to do that became a benefit. And then the other part was, uh, you know, again, recognizing our reality and, 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 and the difficulties of it and respecting the, the tragedies that it was for families and people and, and that were impacted. Uh, but knowing that as a business, we had to figure out, can, you know, how do we survive? And so we learned uh, to communicate a lot. Uh, we learned to make decisions a lot faster. Uh, so, you know, one of our challenges is we were, on this side of, of all of that is how do we continue to make decisions faster? How do we stop analyzing ourselves into the paralysis of analysis? Yeah. And so the team really rallied and, and, and I'll go back when I say that team, I'll say this, the other part of, of, of how we were successful was we'd made some tough decisions about team. So uh, when I got here, we'd changed, you know, seven of my eight direct reports. We'd made other changes in the old Charlie's organization, down the ranks. Um, and so having the right team, having the right players um, and having them in the right positions allowed us and gave us the capacity to move in a way that really worked. Mm, that really makes a lot. I mean, you hear that a lot in the restaurant business, you know, the right people on the bus, the players in the right position. You know, I, I, I'm curious, you said you, you weren't planning on, obviously nobody was planning on a worldwide shutdown, but what did you guys see in the industry or in your organization that you were like, Hey, we need to implement this technology. Well, <laughs> that was another part of our investment beforehand. We had, uh, we had, uh, implemented OLO. Uh, mm -hmm. they did a great job for us. Uh, we did that in 19 uh, in 2018. Um, uh, so our online ordering, um, one of the things I, you know, I, I'm one of those people that, you know, I do things like I think a customer would want to do things. Mm -hmm. And when I get mad about it, then I come to the office and say, this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I said, guys, online order is not working. We've got to figure out online ordering better. So we went Olo and Olo had been at Denny's and, and we'd implemented them at Denny's before. So I knew of the company and uh, knowing that whole team and they'd done a great job there and, and they did a great job here. And then, and then we started working on, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, QR codes and, you know, the customers didn't want to touch anything. So you had to have a QR code so they pull it up. Yeah. And then we had to figure out how we could take that order in the restaurant as opposed to online from outside the restaurant. And then how could they pay at the end? And then so so the technologies and, and things of that nature were another piece of that. But we were we were finding that, you know, the consumers, uh, you know, the, the initial weeks were obviously uh, challenging again in lots of regards. And I don't it's not about business. It's about people. Uh, and the health of our nation and, and, and all across the world. But for us, we were in the business. And so we had to figure out, can we survive? And, and how do we do things that will uh, benefit us on a long-term basis? And so we, we watched and saw that and we, we changed our menu. We limited our menu Yep. and we, we, we could, and our customers were like, fine, listen, we don't care about that, but we need this. Yep. Um, and then we had, we, had, this was an interesting, <laughs> you'll love this Kyle. We had thought about, um, a package for off-premise and, and we weren't sure what to call it, but we came up with family meal deals. And so in our heads and in, in January of 2020, we created this concept of family meal deals and you were going to get 
a big thing of, of chicken tenders and a big thing of steaks or a big thing of whatever and two two big sides and you could come and you know pick it up on the way home from wherever if you're picking up the kids from soccer or on the way home from work or yep. whatever you're doing one stop everything together you know salads and everything we had that in in our, our january of 2020 we said we're going to do this wow march we were thinking we'll roll this out you know sometime in april may um mm. march 11th um, when that we always note that here, cause you know, right or wrong, it was when the NBA said we're done for the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we said, okay, life's going to change quickly. And so March 13th, we said, roll it. And we did. Uh, and so we had an opportunity there because the consumers had shifted because they had to, um, and you had, you know, people not going to the office and, but they were still trying to get around. And then they, you know, everybody was at the grocery store and couldn't find any toilet paper and, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, and so we were just trying to make sure we were, we, we, um, again, we were very fortunate with a great team to have a, a lot of things moving in the right direction. Um, but for us, it was a little bit, uh, um, uh, we, we have, uh, through the, our ownership group, um, uh, an affiliation with the, uh, the Vegas golden Knights and, uh, oh. Mr. Foley, um, as the primary owner there uh, sort of gotten us all focused in a little bit more so than we would normally have been on hockey. But we always talk about the whole Wayne Gretzky skate where the puck's going. Yeah. Right. And so our conversations as a team were, where's the puck going? Yep. We know where we are, but where is it going? And how do we find our way forward to get it positioned so we can take advantage of it? So yeah. we didn't have family meal deals in you know January or February of 2020 by March 13th, we had them. And as we came through, um, and, and we're hundred percent still off premise, those were accounting for 20% of our sales. Mm. And we were like, wow, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> now the question is, what's the next thing that's like that? So what do we do yeah. next to, to extend ourselves into where the consumer is and where they're thinking, or to maybe have them think something they hadn't thought, but let's think it for them and see if they like it to your point about testing, testing, testing and mm -hmm. LTOs and, you know, specials and things that where the consumer says, Oh, I like that. I like to have that again. It's been, yeah. again, it's been an interesting challenge, but uh, for old Charlie's it's been, it's been an amazing turnaround uh, for the brand. That's awesome. I mean, I know that like, that's the thing. There were so many things like, um, like these family meal kits, um, you know, kind of pick up on the way home. Like we were kind of in the conversation prior to the pandemic. It obviously weren't a priority, like online ordering and things like that. And I did just read a statistic that 68% of people will pass on your restaurant if they find difficulty online ordering, like even reading the menu, like even a little thing, like having a PDF of your menu, as opposed to a digital one, you can actually scroll it. So that's a, that's a big deal. And it's a big deal to try to stay on top of that. Um, I will say, you know, the things that happened during the pandemic, obviously, horrific and tragic. We lost a lot of restaurants and it's unfortunate situation, but there were some things that have come out of this. And I know you're, you're very well versed on these, these this concept of virtual brands and, and, and things like that. Talk a little bit about your entrance into that, into that market, I guess it is, or <laughs> segment of the industry. I don't even know what to call it. Right. I mean, we've entered it. We've jumped into it. Yeah. We're, we're kind of all up, you know, over, over my bald head into it. Um, I hear that. Well, we, 
it's it, it's a good look. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at us both and like with my with both eyes and like glasses, guys. I, mean, I, I got I got to work on the hair, but I know uh, I didn't shave uh, facial hair. But uh, uh, the uh, uh, you know every once in a while when I when I try to grow it out, I think about my dad going, mm -mm, "No, you ah. can't do that." Uh, <laughs> make you run a couple minutes. Sir, yes, sir. I, I, I'll say that off, sir. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it goes back to the sales. We, we uh, continue to discuss, um, and again, we, we're still, I, again, I think our conversations and our communications and, and the relationship we have with operators got better. Um, and wish wish it hadn't taken, uh, you know, going through a pandemic to get us there, but we have. But the, the virtual brands really came about as we said, okay, so, so, we, at this point, we still had um, restrictions, six foot distancing and plexiglass and all those sorts of things. And consumers were still kind of a little, you know, not all in on coming back inside. Um, off premise sales continue to be probably two and a half percent what they were mm. uh, or two and a half times what they were uh, pre pandemic. Uh, we said, well, what can we do? What can we, what, what's our opportunity? And then we said, well, you know, this online ordering and, 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 and the off-premise piece and the delivery piece. And if we can figure out the economics on that, which everybody obviously talks about, how do we, how do we extend ourselves? And we have capacity. We have great teams, our, our operating teams. We've learned how to do to go really well. Our, yeah. our kitchen uh, and heart of house folks are really great at, at, at executing. So now what? So we said, well, one of the things we do at O'Charlie's that I think is, is sort of one of our key items is our chicken tenders. Mm -hmm. Double hand breaded. Uh, they're really extraordinary. Uh, we're known for them. People will tell you in the South, particularly, you know, if they, if, they, if you talk to them about O'Charlie's, they'll talk about the, our chicken tenders. That's all about the chicken tenders. We said, well, oh, okay, we do chicken tenders really well. And yep. um, how about we do a chicken tender brand? Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so, so well, but we can't just do chicken tenders because then we're knocking off our sales. Yeah. So what do we do? Well, let's make it a little edgy. Uh, and of course, my answer, my question was, <laughs> what What do you mean exactly? Edgy? Like getting. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah, let's let's define that. Yeah, uh, what, we, what we really did was we took our chicken tenders and we put it together uh, a series of, of uh, you know, elaborate, uh, very interesting, very unique sauces. No. So it wasn't just a honey mustard or a um buffalo or you know ran it was very interesting you know, sauces and then we said okay so we don't do tater tots how about we do tenders and tots man and then we said okay not just tots let's do tots that are again you know bacon and cheese and mm. you know stuff yeah. on top of the pot and then so we kept doing things and and, and the team did a great job uh, so we came up with the name Coop, C-O-O-P, and Run. Um, give it a little edge, Coop and Run, yeah. and um, out of the chicken coop. And uh, and so rolled that out. Um, and we've done all of these in a very systematic approach. You know, one store, four stores, eight stores, then mm. 30-something stores, then rolls out. And ultimately, the only kind of uh, governor we put on it is we've got several of our locations that are um, have, have done and continue to do extraordinary sales. Um, and so we've uh, backed down. So we do out of our 151 uh, restaurants, we have our virtual brands in 145 and the wow. other restaurants just have such high sales volume that we don't want to overstress. Yeah. And then we did things like, you know, 
Mother's Day, uh, we just turned the switch off and said, we're not doing the virtual brands on Mother's Day. Mm. Take care of the people that are in the restaurant or off premise. So we're very mindful of that. Uh, we've had to buy in a couple of our stores an extra fryer. <laughs> yeah. For fryer yeah. Uh, and tots. Um, and then we went from that to um, uh, Dockside Charlie's, which mm -hmm. is seafood based. So we do great seafood, um, fried or grilled. Um, our CTX ovens help us. We can, we can, we put grilled yeah. fish through really well. And our cedar plank salmon is extraordinary. But we took our cedar plank salmon and we did a mango salsa, you know, right. kind of thing. And, and then something else and then something else. And then we did some sandwiches um, with our baguettes that you don't have in, in, in right. the rest. And so we just kept, it just became this whole keep it going. Mm -hmm. And we did, uh, we just launched uh, Underground Chucks, which is a hamburger concept. Oh, very and, cool. And, and uh, it's, but it's not, it's not just, you know, it's not a bacon cheeseburger. It's, you know, it's got uh, cheese squares, uh, pepper jack cheese squares and onion tanglers and avocado. And, Man. you know, it's, you know, this big and you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how anybody eats it. Knife and fork. Yeah. But, uh, but we had fun with it and we're continuing to have fun with it. And, you know, those three, we've got two more on the way, but those three are accounting for about six stores worth of volume. So, you know, wow. if you've got 150 stores and you've got six stores worth of volume and you didn't invest any more capital, you didn't build a building, you didn't yeah. sign a lease, you did. Um, and the profitability side of it is we've already got the building, we've already got the rent, we've got the utilities, all those sorts of things. Yeah. We worked the economics. It's been really a lot of fun. And the interesting part is it's been energizing to the team. Mm. They get excited about it because they're thinking more sales, more cash flow, more mm. cash flow. We all do better. They get the, you know, yeah. the side of it works for them, but also just the, the sense of growth. I mean, you've yeah, been around this business a long time. You you grow or you're on yeah. the decline toward yeah. Yeah. most likely not going to survive. You might be able, if you have all kinds of perfect leases and things, you might manage it through, but ultimately yeah. you got to grow. And so this gives us a growth opportunity. And I think the energy behind it is fun and, Again, we talk, we've got three, we've got two more coming, maybe six, three more coming. Um, but again, our question is, how do we do that with how we maintain the integrity of, of our brand, of, of Charlie's and our, and our execution, which is so critical? Yeah, I mean, you said it uh, earlier, but it was about getting green pieces of paper. Like you needed dollars. It wasn't necessarily about executing, you know, can't provide the hospitality, can't do it. Okay, but we need some money. So let's, let's figure that out. So you see then, I, I guess it's, it's safe to say that you see these virtual brands as, as part of your plan for the foreseeable future. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, so much so that we're starting to look at um, our ability to extend ourselves as O'Charlie's and the virtual brands yeah. into, you know, some areas where, uh, again, the unfortunate, uh, outcome of the pandemic is so many restaurants didn't survive uh, right. for lots of reasons. And so, you know, there's, there's plenty of restaurants and, and locations you know, that, that have kitchen equipment and they just, you know, landlords are looking around going, yeah. who's coming. Yeah. Uh, so we might be able to do that. So we're starting to explore. Uh, I mean, you could call it a ghost kitchen. Mm -hmm. I would call it just a, you know, commissary right. operation of kitchen yep. uh, where we go in and say, you know, we'll turn on, uh, oh, Charlie's online. We'll turn on Coop and Run. We'll turn on Dockside Charlie's. We'll turn on Underground Chucks. Yep. And we'll just have people come. We won't, we, we're not expecting that we'll do that with a dine in experience, but mm -hmm. a lot of off premise 
Um, and if the economics are right relative to the location, then you know, we can, again, continue to extend ourselves and not overstress uh, our existing locations yep. and our staff, but also, again, again, get the sales. It's all, it's about, you, you said it's about the green. Yeah. You got to go get the green. Yeah, you drive sales for sure. And do you, I mean, I've always thought about these, call them ghost kitchen virtual brands, but I, I agree with you when the way that you're talking about it is kind of like a ghost kitchen commissary setup. I've always thought that for some of these emerging groups, to, it's a great way to test new markets. So like, hey, I can pop this up for 50 grand or 75 grand as opposed to 750 grand to get this store open. Is that something you, I mean, I know you guys are have pretty well covered uh, territory, but is that something you'd consider to, with some of these newer brands or even, you know, the, the brick and mortar stores? Yeah, I think I think we could do that and we could do that. I think we still have plenty of, of green space uh, in terms of our existing footprint um, for O'Charlie, but also as you go outside of that and then, you know, then that, then you start talking about the you know the ability to franchise it, mm, right? And, yeah, and, and create a framework to say, here's listen, you can, to your point, you know, you want to be a franchisee of X or Y brand, and it takes a lot of money to build the building and outfit the building, and you guarantee this and da da da. Or you could come and do this package uh, of of restaurant brands out of a location that's mm -hmm. you know two thousand square feet, yep, <laughs> or less. Um, and really all you need is our, you know, our technology and, and our systems and our supply chain and our mm -hmm. equipment that we can help you get and go. Um, mm -hmm. And so it could be attractive. I, I think that's the that's the next part of this in terms of, of thinking mm -hmm. through what are the possibilities that we could do to extend ourselves because we're in 17 states, which is great. Yep. Uh, but that means there's a whole lot of states we're not in yet. <laughs> right. And, um, um, and so I, I would love for us to see that. And again, you know, it will come back, I think, in some respects, like it always is to supply chain and our ability. You know, if, if they're going to be good chicken tenders, then we want to have control of that like any right. franchisor. Right. Right. Um, and so you, it, it's easier to, to grow out from that. But I, I think we could do that. And, and, and again, the, the fun part is, you know, it's a great opportunity to consider. And we've got the team that can execute that should we decide to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I love I love it. I think it's um, you know an opportunity for people to do do it right. You know, like you guys are doing it there as a, a viable business opportunity. But I do see some of these brands. I tell the story all the time. There's like a gas station convenience store over here, mm -hmm. it's about a mile from my house, and there's a piece of paper, handwritten piece of paper, and they've got this brand, this brand, this brand, and the guys outside smoking cigarettes all the time. And somebody said, well, that's why they're not going to work. I said, well, that's why they're not going to work for this guy. But well, there's a practical application that you're using, which I think is obviously smarter. And I, and I think the franchise model is, is phenomenal idea. Well, and I think it goes back to the, the online presence, um, you know, your ability to communicate via social media, yep. uh, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all those sorts of things and connect people. Um, you know, that's why we worked hard. Uh, we just rolled out uh, Patronics. So we have an O'Charlie's app now. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can, we, we know when you show up that, that if you log, you know, if you, check in. We know that we can mm -hmm. more personalize your experience and, and we're still in the infancy of that. But again, it's all about spreading. Um, and I think more so now kind of in more non-traditional marketing media ways. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, you see these, you see these guys on platforms like TikTok and Instagram, just the, doing business off the platform. Just it's, it's incredible. It's incredible what the, the, the virality of some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I want to just close with one last thing. I don't know if you guys are, if you guys are dealing with this in any of the states you're in, but in the state that I'm in, which is New York, uh, today uh, everybody has to have a vaccine to get into their into 
into the space, uh, into any restaurant. Are you guys, is that an issue for you guys anywhere? Or how, how would you be handling that if that's, if that's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's been the, the constant moving target. Yeah. Right. Um, hard to know. Um, you know, we've got, we've got a whole great group of folks that kind of monitor and, and manage a rent around who said what and you know, masks mm. or not masks or yeah. vaccines or not vaccines. And uh, I just saw the other day where, um, more than a couple of companies said you have to have a vaccine to work here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're we're still a little unclear uh, from yeah. a legal standpoint and a uh, HIPAA standpoint how yeah, you right. manage yeah. that. Right. Um, and so we're 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 watching it, and we yeah. will. You know, our our kind of standard rule uh, since the start of this has been, uh, or it is our rule, uh, is you know what does the CDC say? Yeah, and we're going to do it. Um, yeah. So if we have to do masks, we have to, and then, you know, that, you know, went from the broad CDC down to, you know, states and then cities and then inside some city, you know, (laughs) know, and and so, uh, you know, what we've been focused on is making sure we comply. Yeah. We we want our team um, and our guests to understand that we are absolutely committed to do the best we can with all we know and, and what anybody says is the best class best in class action against that yeah um you know i think it's really interesting and and certainly has been a concern as this you know kind of resurgence of covid and the delta variant has come back what does that mean for us all um and i think it means for us all continue to be diligent yeah you know somebody was talking the other day and i said you know i don't think um I may have washed my hands more in 2020 than I did in all the years before that, Um, you know, and and used hand sanitizer and and all of that. So whether it was wearing a mask or hand sanitizing or for us in our stores being very uh, visual about Mm -hmm. our cleaning and our cleaning protocols and and kind of almost exaggerated um, to a point uh, and probably exaggerated uh, where we say we're, we understand this is, uh, still an uncertainty for us all. So how yeah. do we do our best in it? And I, you know, I, I don't know where that ends up. Um, and, and I think the challenge for everybody, whether, whether it's you in New York or us in Tennessee, you know, the government authorities are different yeah. <laughs> at every level from, from yeah. the national all the way down, yeah. even yeah. to the city. I mean, we, we, you know, Tennessee is one of those weird, uh, states where we have 95 counties. And we had rules for 89 counties and we had different rules for the other six counties and the other six counties didn't all have the same rules. And so for, for, for a business owner uh, and an operator of anything, you were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right. So I've got a store and it's a mile across the County line and I've got to do this versus that, man. But but, I think that's, um, that's been the challenges I think for all business owners and, 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 and for restaurants particularly, as, as we're so consumer facing, uh, hopefully, um, and, and certainly we like uh, having customers in our restaurant. But in any event, whether we're doing it off premise or, or on premise, it's still a challenge to make sure that we demonstrate the, the highest regard for their safety and, and our team's safety. Yeah, of course. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to say, you know, we have a lot of independent restaurant folks on here who, who you know, manage, you know, three to ten locations. And I always say to them look at what the big guys are doing, look at how they're handling things. And maybe you can't implement some of the things they do, but look at the way, look at some of the things that Craig said here. There's a lot to be, 
taken from this episode in terms of how to handle your business. Um, uh, if you have one unit, 10 units, there, there's takeaway, the takeaways are the same. And, and the process and the process may be different at that scale, but you, you guys know what I'm talking about. So Craig, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and it's um, been a tough time, but I'm glad to see that you guys have navigated through and, and I'm excited to watch the growth of these virtual brands. Well, thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. And, and uh, best wishes to you and, and, and to those independent operators. Uh, again, it's you're exactly right. The struggle is real. It's a struggle every day. It's every meal period. It's yep. your staffing. It's your food. It's your food supply. It's your food cost. Everything's the same. And again, scale may help at times, but ultimately it's about taking care of your people. Um, and, and our admonition has been not take care of your people, but take care of yourself. Yeah. So I know those independent owners have probably worked uh, more hours in 2020 than they ever worked. Yeah. Uh, our admission to all has been just, just take care. So thanks again for your time. And I appreciate your interest in us. Absolutely, Craig. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Tap the Table is the world's fastest online ordering platform. Sell your food, merch, and event tickets fast and frictionlessly on the most popular social media channels, including Facebook and Instagram. Converting comments into customers is what made Tap the Table famous in the F&B tech space. Tap the Table allows your restaurant to automatically convert the comments you get on social media into cash. Build your list and own your data. With Tap the Table, your supercharged social media will automatically begin working for you by building your own list and allowing you to own your own data. Automatically build that list through direct sales on social media and even through third-party delivery services like Uber Eats and DoorDash. For a risk-free 60-day trial, DM me TTT for a special promo code today. Today's episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern team management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. Effective team management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially as restaurants start to open back up and expand their teams. Trusted by over half a million restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to simplify scheduling, easily manage time and attendance, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll systems you already use and trust your turning team into a competitive advantage for your business. Right now, National Restaurant Owners Podcast listeners can get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com backslash national hyphen restaurant hyphen owners hyphen podcast that's the number seven s-h-i-f-t-s dot com slash national restaurant owners podcast to get three months of industry leading team management for free i want to keep it real with you guys a lot of you need a new website a lot of you and by a lot i mean most of you need a new website which is why i partnered with bento box to help you do just that they provide uh, a full service setup that brings agency level design online in days at a fraction of the cost. And just because you're a listener of this show, you can also receive 50% off your setup fees by clicking the link in my bio and entering the code FOU6 in the how did you hear about Bento Box section. Again, that's code FOU6, Bento Box, own your presence, own your profits, own your relationships. All right, guys, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Today, I am with Craig Barber the CEO of Restaurant Growth Services. And Craig has been in his current role since October 2017. 
with responsibilities that include leadership for the O'Charlie's restaurant and bar, 99 restaurant and pub, casual dining brands, and until August, the Village Inn and Baker Square family dining brands. His responsibilities include over 250 restaurants, holy cow, in 24 states. Craig began his restaurant career in 1983 with Shoney's after six years with Ernst & Young. Well, we're going to have to talk about that shift. He left Shoney's in 1997 after serving as chief administrative officer and chief financial officer with responsibility for all staff and administrative functions of $1.3 billion um, in revenues. The New York Stock Exchange restaurant company that operated and franchised over 1,475, 950 company-owned multi-concept restaurants in 34 states. Prior to his current role, he most recently was a Denny's franchisee and served for 10 yep. years as the chair of Denny's Franchisee Association Board when he led a collaborative brand effort for alignment of priorities to create value and improve performance. Born and raised in Nashville, his father served in the military for 43 years and was his mentor for leadership. Those insights led to the philosophy of people first followed by profits while maintaining commitment to personal fulfillment for team members. I mean, it is safe to say you have some multi-unit restaurant experience, huh? Wow. Lots of brands and <laughs> lots of fun. You know, the more brands, the more fun. I don't know sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting uh, journey. Yeah. I mean, so let's, let's start with the Ernst & Young stuff. I mean, that typically those are two paths that, you know, don't really cross. Not many people make the leap from being in accounting to working in the restaurant business. So how'd you get from one to the other? Well, you know, my, my focus early on, again, my father was a, an amazing leader and I learned a lot about leadership from him. And so my goal was always to be in a leadership role. And I felt like particularly given uh, you know, uh, his service to the military was great on one hand for our country and, and for him and, and for what I learned. But the other part of that was economics weren't uh, very high. And so for me to have an advantage, in my view, I needed to get an accounting degree become a CPA and then sort of leapfrog um, into a, a better role than I might have otherwise taken a longer time to get to. So so public accounting was something that was fun uh, mm. to a point. Uh, the hours were were interesting and, and some of the opportunities were interesting. But each of those things that I went through in those six years uh, taught me a lot about business uh, controls. Uh, the importance of internal controls and yeah. cash and cash management and making sure you knew where the cash was. And so um, uh, I, I've spent the first several years auditing insurance companies, which was mm. very detailed and, and very uh, uh, just you know, a lot of diligence in that. And then I transferred over uh, to uh, the restaurant business and uh, and Shoney's Inc. was my one of my clients and uh, worked there. And, and so I had the opportunity to transition out of public accounting at a good time for me, I think personally and professionally, and then into um, a treasury role at, at Shoney's, which again was key for me because I really didn't want to be an accountant. <laughs> I didn't yeah. like debits and credits. I understood them, but I didn't like doing it. And so yeah. that was a great opportunity. And uh, Shoney's at that time in, in the early 80s was recognized as one of the best operating companies in the restaurant business. Uh, had lots of growth going. And uh, for me, I thought, well, I'll just go here and see what I can learn, A, about business and, and leadership and maybe restaurants, and then ultimately stayed for 14 years. And that was a, a quite, quite an interesting experience through that. So I would imagine that a company like Shoney's at that time was, you know, well, any restaurant really appreciates somebody coming in and getting a hold of what's going on. So you're bringing that 
that organizational uh, financial background, particularly in the accounting field, to bring everything together so they can really read those numbers? Was that really what were they? What were you charged with doing when you came on board? Was something like that? Well, I, I focused initially on treasury. Also, did the financial reporting, which mm. forced me into the numbers. Yeah, uh, you know, so you know, in in order to you know, prepare information for the board and prepare the information for the investors. We were at the time over the counter, uh, then NASDAQ, then New York Stock Exchange. So you were always mm. thinking about how to best position your performance and explain what was going on. We had Shoney's, Captain D's, Lee's Famous Recipe. We had a, a little casual dining chain, Pargo's. We had a, a steakhouse fifth quarter. We owned our own food distribution company, had three distribution centers. Wow. We had our own manufacturing. We we ground our own beef. We cut our own steaks. We we oh, made our own yeah. salad dressings. And so there was this very multifaceted enterprise that, um, you know, again, you had to learn a lot uh, about each of those pieces. But then also um, how to explain those and, and articulate what was going on in them. Were they on track, off track? Yeah. Are they growing? Are they not growing? everything that was really focused in. And the good part for me was we were growing as a business. We were building new restaurants. We were doing new things. Um, and then uh, in, in the late eighties, we did a, uh, what they called a leverage recapitalization. So the two founders, uh, we paid a big, we had uh, the stock was 22. We paid a $20 dividend. Mm. Wow. <laughs> uh, okay. So they got liquidity for uh, all sorts of reasons. And uh, the company stayed public uh, and actually the stock traded it you know, $6 the day after the dividend. So it was about a $4 pickup along with the liquidity. So again, very interesting yeah. public company sort of financing pieces, but also it was always about understanding the business. And I had the benefit of being around some great operators. Um, also had the interesting, um, uh, in the 14 years, there were five different CEOs. So I got to observe what happens when you have a shift in CEOs and how mm. that affects or doesn't affect a the overall organization and b the restaurants and the operations yeah it was really fun wow i mean i would imagine at a restaurant group that size or an enterprise that size change of leadership at the top i mean even that my five ceo changes in what 14 years that did that how does that trickle down to the actual operation i mean i know there's a lot at your level that maybe some folks are missing but the change in leadership i mean and you bring somebody new on board there what, what is that transition like for for you guys well, I, I, it, it, it generally affects lots of pieces. I, I think it affects the overall organization and who the, the leaders are. And, and that's yeah. been the case here. We can talk about that a little bit later. But, uh, you know, the organization leadership, the leadership style, the culture um, and the focus. And then as it relates to the restaurants, um, you know, I got to watch and observe people come in and say, well, we're going to go do this. No, no. And the next one come in. No, no. We're going to go do that. And you were like, how can yeah. two people in a leadership role be so opposite in, yeah. in what they think? Um, and so the, the, you know, the best of any of those leaders would always focus in on, uh, for me, uh, the consumer, who is our consumer, who really is our consumer, not who do we want them to be or who do we think they are? Who are yeah. they? And then the second part was, what about our team? And, and, and are we giving them the resources and, and, everything they need to do what we think will make the company money. And mm -hmm. so it, balancing the, again, that's why you, when you said that the people profits and personal fulfillment, mm -hmm. for me, it was always about the people guests and, and our team because one without the other doesn't work. Right. Um, 
but what are your capabilities and, and do you have the right equipment and do you have the right facility and do you have all those things for your team to be successful? The flip side was, you know, what does the guest think about you and, and, and what do you want them to think about you? And can you move them to a different place and can right. you incent them to come more or get them to spend more money when they come? And how does that work in, in that particular brand? And so, you know, we had Shoney's, which was a, a, a coffee shop back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's called Miss Gale Family Dining or, or you know, I, I love all these acronyms or, or descriptions we have that the consumer goes, what are you talking about? It's Shoney's. Um, or for us, it's O'Charlie's. You know, we think we're right. one thing and the customer says, you're O'Charlie's. That's, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Casual dining segment. Right. Uh, and so it was fun to see that and, and uh, experience that and, and get the benefit um, without being in the hot seat um to see again some elements in each of those individuals was really uh good and then there were certain things that didn't quite work out um right. and so it, as things changed and shifted for me there it was time to go uh public company life is interesting uh and i respect those who can do it i like working for private equity a whole lot more yeah <laughs> I, I mean that, that that's a that's a, a lot of responsibility though when you have that private equity money kind of hanging over your, you know, looking over your shoulder, what you're doing, but you touched on something uh, interesting there. Not, and you said not who we want our customers to be, but who they actually are. I mean, I think that's important because so many times with these emerging brands that I work with, they're like, you know, well, we are this now, but maybe we could be a college rush. Maybe we'd be, we'd be good in a college town, or maybe we have a better, you know, in an urban setting. Maybe, how do you, I mean, talk about how you guys identify that customer and then maybe find, find that customer in other parts of the country. I think it goes back to just, you know, you know, again, it, it, it's a little bit of a stretch, but it, it's when we talk about within our industry, we talk about family dining, fast, casual, casual, uh, polished, casual. Mm -hmm. We use all these terms and we tend to think as, as about our customers in those sorts of terms, our right. customers are looking for a place to eat. Um, they have a choice they can eat in or not. And if they're not, then they have a choice and then have lots of choices. So, uh, you know, most of that, I think, really goes down to uh, just sitting in restaurants and, and talking to customers and listening to customers and and not trying to lead them to where you want them to be. You know, don't you want, you know, yeah. a, a fried pickle? Uh, yeah. Don't you want a fried avocado? Don't you want yeah. a fried Oreo cookie? Uh, don't don't you think that would be great? And the customer's going, uh, mm. maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I, I do think it's hard. And of course, there's lots of firms that will give you intelligence and research. And, and you know, if you've been in any focus groups, you, you've, you've probably been in too many. Mm. Uh, but uh, but you do have to listen to the consumer and, and, and then more particularly, I think, watch their behavior. You know, I think that's the benefit for us with yeah. with, you know, limited time offers and, and things that we do to, to test. Um, you know, where are the consumers going? What are they thinking? Where are they spending their money? What are they willing to spend on? And you know, if we want to do a, you know, a bone-in ribeye, mm -hmm. it's expensive in the context of our overall menu at O'Charlie's. But we have found that our consumers really like that mm. uh, because they don't want they want to come to our restaurant to get that as opposed to a restaurant where it would be ten dollars more. Right. Uh, and so finding those little spots. Um, uh, where the consumer's behavior tells you what they really want, not what you think they want or what you think you heard. Yeah. And you do that through testing, right? I mean, you can only find it through, through testing. So now you left Shoney's in 1997. 
what, where, where'd you head after that? Um, started working with the company. Um, again, part of, <laughs> part of the good and the bad of, of my experience is I, I spent a lot of time in turnarounds and, and, and restructurings and, yeah. and challenges. Um, I like that. It works with my head and, and, um, apparently I must, uh, enjoy it too much cause I keep <laughs> But um, I, I went to a company called Phoenix Restaurant Group uh, mm -hmm. at the time was the largest Denny's franchisee, had about 97 Denny's, also owned 92 Black Eyed Peas. Wow. Um, and uh, so it had the family dining, the casual dining, uh, very challenging environment, very, mm -hmm. you know, lots of issues. And, and that really got me into the Denny's brand uh, where I stayed until uh, 2016 and uh, worked in it. You know, as an executive, then worked in it. You know, as a as a franchisee, managed you know different numbers of, of restaurants mm. through that time, uh, and and so it was really about you know probably the Black Eyed Pea was a great brand, uh, never quite had the capitalization uh, that it should have had uh, to be successful. The Denny system was easier to capitalize because you had this big, massive, yeah, international brand, uh, so it was easy to attract capital and then and work through that. So you're you're like the fixer. You got like a, you got a, you got like a, you, you it's like either you whether you want it or not you're coming you're coming to fix it. So uh, I, I can see that being an attractive position. Well, it's it's got its challenges, and and you have to have a certain uh, fortitude uh, for it and an energy for it. I mean, I, right. you know, it's complicated, it's complex, and, and there's never it's never easy. Um, and in the current situation, again, lots of complications yeah. in terms of leadership, uh, strategy, brand. Uh, brand execution, operational execution, supply chain, you, you, but you have to figure out uh, what's your framework for that and how you're going to manage through that and process through that. So, I, you know, again, I think that's part of that, uh, the benefit of, of having the uh, accounting background and the auditing background and the kind of systematized, programmatic, you know, run the project, complete the project, do it again, do it again, do it yeah. again. That's a good perspective. So you were actually also a, a franchisee of Denny's as well. So you were kind of like on both sides of the coin there. Yeah, we were um, we were franchisees, um, and then Denny's was unique because it was uh, it's it's gone up a bit. But at the time, they were transitioning from less than fifty percent franchise to ninety percent franchise. Mm -hmm. They viewed that rightly so as beneficial to their market value. Uh, you know, it's it's better to have an annuity than than operational risk uh, fr from a public market perspective. So they did that. IHOP had already done that, and uh, and so we were the beneficiaries of that and and, and ran through that. And then uh, they had a franchise board because it was ninety percent franchise, and the franchisees, interestingly, in Denny's, um, had very different franchise agreements over all these years. But ultimately, the the key point for us was always that we had. Um, more control over the supply chain than in any other franchise brand I'd ever seen. And so uh, the franchise community uh, at large vote, votes for 10 members. I got voted in in 2003 and then in 2006 got uh, elected by my peers to be the chair and did that for 10 years. Lots of fun, um, lots of challenges. There was a CEO transition in the midst of uh, those those 10 years. And um, I think the board uh, at Denny's made a good choice with John Miller. Uh, give him a shout out and an endorsement, but uh, yeah, yeah. a good man and, and he's done a great job there um, as they've processed through um, uh, you know, some challenges that they had where they were focused on 
more on compliance than the consumer. And I think that that shifted greatly um, mm -hmm. and then getting their right um, consumer proposition, the 2468 menu that they rolled out uh, really was a home run um, and, and doing a great uh, you know, positioning for them against, again, who their consumer was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that matters. So in terms of challenges, uh, probably safe to say that last year was uh and we're still kind of in it one of the more difficult challenges for restaurants um when you have this many units under your supervision and talk to me what, what it was like i mean across the country different levels of shutting down and all that i mean how, how did you guys even wrap your arms around this from day one well um we call it the unimaginable mm. uh, we always that was really the kind of the very first kind of conversations we have with our operators. Look, look, folks, this yeah. is unimaginable. We, none of us would have believed on January 1st of 2020 that someone have come, would have come in and said, no customers allowed inside your restaurant. Now go, now go to, and, and yeah. so, um, uh, so that was, um, uh, you know, our framework for everything we did. Um, I will also tell you, we, we embraced and we talked about the, um, um, the Stockdale paradox, which was got famous, uh, more famous, uh, I think, uh, with Jim Collins, good to great book where uh, Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And his focus was on, you know, make sure that you don't confuse the reality in your optimism um, with the reality of where you are. Hmm. So be real about where you are. Now, mm -hmm. don't don't lose hope. And he talked about Stockdale talked about how prisoners of war would um, they would think they were going home by Christmas. And if they didn't go home by Christmas, then they lost their will and they, they, they didn't necessarily survive, which was tragic. But, but they, but the focus of, of the Stockdale paradise and as Jim Collins talks about was embrace the brutal facts. And so we had to embrace the brutal facts. We don't have any guests inside our restaurant. Now what? Uh, so our focus became simply sales, all about sales, find sales, get sales, do sales. Mm. We had made decisions and this is another part of our lessons and learnings. We had made decisions in 2018 and 19 that we had no idea at all were going to help us in 2020 and with the COVID pandemic. Hmm. We had uh, half of our old Charlie's didn't have curbside um, takeout delivery segmentation. So you, you would come in the front door to get your, your takeout. Well, we had half of them that had a designated specified side entrance and then half that didn't. So we had done that. Uh, we had changed our kitchen technology and we had uh, implemented CTX ovens, uh, a set of three ovens with six uh, rails total that allowed us to cook our food faster, uh, more mm. consistently um, and, and right uh, every single time and improved our speed of service. Well, we didn't know how that would impact when we didn't have customers. So we're, we're surviving off of off premise sales. And, and off premise sales are growing from you know 12 and 15 percent to 30 percent of our prior sales to 60 percent of our prior sales and so all of that activity was taking place with a very limited crew um, and a lot of our management team working uh, extraordinary hours but again the technology in place allowed that to flow through and us to execute so we had done lots of things uh, that we didn't know we needed to do that became a benefit. And then the other part was, uh, 
you know, again, recognizing our reality and, 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 and the difficulties of it, but respecting the, the tragedies that it was for families and people and, and that were impacted. Uh, but knowing that as a business, we had to figure out, can, you know, how do we survive? And so we learned uh, to communicate a lot. Uh, we learned to make decisions a lot faster. Uh, so, you know, one of our challenges is we're on this side of, of all of that is how do we continue to make decisions faster? How do we stop analyzing ourselves into the paralysis of analysis? Yeah. And so the team really rallied and, and, and I'll go back when I say that team, I'll say this, the other part of, of, of how we were successful was we'd made some tough decisions about team. So uh, when I got here, we'd changed, you know, seven of my eight direct reports. We'd made other changes in the old Charlie's organization down the ranks. Um, and so having the right team, having the right players um, and having them in the right positions allowed us and gave us the capacity to move in a way that really worked. Mm, that really makes a lot. I mean, you hear that a lot in the restaurant business, you know, the right people on the bus, the players in the right position. You know, I, I, I'm curious. You said you, you weren't planning on obviously nobody was planning on a worldwide shutdown. But what did you guys see in the industry or in your organization that you were like, hey, we need to implement this technology? Well, that was another part of our investment beforehand. We had uh, we had uh, implemented Olo. Uh, okay. They did a great job for us. Uh, we did that in nineteen in twenty eighteen. Uh, so our online ordering, um, one of the things I you know I, I'm one of those people that you know I do things like I think a customer would want to do things, mm -hmm. and when I get mad about it, then I come to the office and say this doesn't work. Mm, um, yeah. And so I said, guys, online ordering is not working. We've got to figure out online ordering better. So we went Olo and Olo had been at Denny's and, and we'd implemented them at Denny's before. So I knew of the company and uh, knowing that whole team and they'd done a great job there and, and they did a great job here. And then, and then we started working on uh, you know, the, 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 you know, QR codes and, you know, the customers didn't want to touch anything. So you had to have a QR code. So they pull it up yeah. and then we had to figure out how we could take that order in the restaurant as opposed to online from outside the restaurant and then how could they pay at the end and then so so the technologies and, and things of that nature were another piece of that but we were we were finding that you know the consumers uh, you know the, the initial weeks were obviously uh, challenging again in lots of regards and i don't it's not about business it's about people uh, and the health of our nation and, and, and all across the world but for us, we were in the business. And so we had to figure out, can we survive and, and how do we do things that will uh, benefit us on a long term basis? And so we we watched and saw that you know, we, we changed our menu. We limited our menu. Yep. And we 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 could and our customers were like, fine. Listen, we don't care about that, but we need this. Yep. Um, and then we had we had, this was an interesting. <laughs> you love this, Kyle. We had thought about um, uh, a package for off premise. And, and we weren't sure what to call it, but we came up with family meal deals. And so in our heads in, in January of 2020, we created this concept of family meal deals. And you were going to get a big thing of, of chicken tenders and a big thing of steaks or a big thing of whatever and two, two big sides. And you could come and you know pick it up on the way home from wherever. If you're picking up the kids from soccer or on the way home from work or yep. whatever you're doing, one stop, everything together. You know, salads and everything. We had that in, in our, our January of 2020. We said, we're going to do this. Wow. March, we were thinking, we'll roll this out, you know, sometime in April, May, um, mm. March 11th. 
um, when that we always note that here because you know right or wrong it was when the nba said we're done for the season mm-hmm. uh and we said okay life's going to change quickly and so march 13th we said roll it and we did uh and so we had an opportunity there because the consumers had shifted because they had to um and you had you know people not going to the office and but they were still trying to get around and then they you know everybody was at the grocery store and couldn't find any toilet paper and all of those sorts of things yeah uh, and so we were just trying to make sure we were, we, we, um, again, we were very fortunate with a great team to have a lot of things moving in the right direction. Um, but for us, it was a little bit, um, uh, we, we have, uh, through the, our ownership group, um, an affiliation with the, uh, the Vegas golden Knights and, uh, oh. Mr. Foley, um, as the primary owner there uh, sort of gotten us all focused in a little bit more so than we would normally have been on hockey. But we always talk about the whole Wayne Gretzky skate where the puck's going. Yeah. Right. And so our conversations as a team were, where's the puck going? Yep. We know where we are, but where is it going? And how do we find our way forward to get it positioned so we can take advantage of it? So yeah. we didn't have family meal deals in you know January or February of 2020 by March 13th, we had them. And as we came through, um, and, and we're hundred percent still off premise, those were accounting for 20% of our sales. Mm. And we were like, wow, that was good. Yeah. Really. Now the question is, what's the next thing that's like that? So what do we do yeah. next to, to extend ourselves into where the consumer is and where they're thinking, or to maybe have them think something they hadn't thought, but let's think it for them and see if they like it to your point about testing, testing, testing and mm-hmm. LTOs and, you know, specials and things that where the consumer says, Oh, I like that. I like to have that again. It's been, yeah. again, it's been an interesting challenge, but uh, for old Charlie's it's been, it's been an amazing turnaround uh, for the brand. That's awesome. I mean, I know that like, that's the thing. There were so many things like, um, like these family meal kits, um you know kind of pick up on the way home like we're kind of in the conversation prior to the pandemic obviously weren't a priority like online ordering and things like that and i did just read a statistic that 68 percent of people will pass on your restaurant if they find difficulty online ordering like even reading the menu like even a little thing like having a pdf of your menu as opposed to a digital one you can actually scroll it so that's a, that's a big deal and it's a big deal to try to stay on top of that um i will say you know the things that happened during the pandemic obviously horrific and tragic we lost a lot of restaurants and it's unfortunate situation but there were some things that have come out of this and i know you're you're very well versed on these these, this concept of virtual brands and 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 things like that talk a little bit about your entrance into that into that market i guess it is or (laughs) segment of the industry i don't even know what to call it right i mean we've entered it we've jumped into it yeah we're we're kind of all up you know over over my bald head into it Um, well we it's it, it's a good look. Um, I'm looking at us both, and like with my with both eyes, and like two glasses. Guys. I, mean, I, yeah. I, I got I got to work on the hair, but I know uh, I didn't shave uh, so. facial hair. But uh, uh, the uh, uh, you know, every once in a while, when I when I try to grow it out, I think about my dad going, Mm-mm, "No, you ah. can't do that." Uh, <laughs> like you run a couple maps, sir. Yes, sir. I, I will, <laughs> I'll save that off, sir. Um, but uh, you know, it, it goes back to the sales. We we uh, continue to discuss. Um, and again, we're still, again, I think our conversations and our communications and, and the relationship we have with operators got better. Um, and wish wish it hadn't taken 
uh, you know, going through a pandemic to get us there, but we have, but the, the virtual brands really came about as we said, okay, so, so you know, we, at this point, we still had um, restrictions, six foot distancing and plexiglass and all those sorts of things. And consumers were still kind of a little, you know, not all in on coming back inside. Um, Off-premise sales continue to be probably two and a half percent what they were mm. uh, or two and a half times what they were uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, we said, well, what can we do? What can we, what, what's our opportunity? And we said, well, you know, this online ordering and, 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 and the off-premise piece and the delivery piece. And if we can figure out the economics on that, which everybody obviously talks about, how do we, how do we extend ourselves? And we have capacity. We have great teams, our, our operating teams. We've learned how to do to go really well. Our, yeah. our kitchen uh, and heart of house folks are really great at, at, at executing. So now what? So we said, well, one of the things we do at O'Charlie's that I think is, is sort of one of our key items is our chicken tenders. Mm -hmm. Double hand breaded. Uh, they're really extraordinary. Uh, we're known for them. People will tell you in the South, particularly, you know, if they, if you talk to them about O'Charlie's, they'll talk about the, our chicken tenders. That's all about the chicken tenders. We said, well, oh, okay, we do chicken tenders really well. And, yep. um, how about we do a chicken tender brand? Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So, 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 well, but we can't just do chicken tenders because then we're knocking off our sales. Yeah. So what do we do? Well, let's make it a little edgy. Uh, and of course my answer, my question was, <laughs> what, what do you mean exactly? Edgy? How are we getting? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah, let's, let's define that. Yeah, uh, what, what we really did was we took our chicken tenders and we put it together uh, a series of, of, elaborate, uh, very interesting, very unique sauces. No. So it wasn't just a honey mustard or a um, buffalo or, you know, ran. it was very interesting you know, sauces. And then we said, okay, so we don't do tater tots. How about we do tenders and tots? Man. And then we said, okay, not just tots. Let's do tots that are, again, you know, bacon and cheese and, mm you know, stuff on yeah. top of the pot. And then, so we kept doing things and, and, and the team did a great job. Uh, so we came up with the name Coop, C-O-O-P and run, um, give it a little edge, Coop and run yeah. and um, out of the chicken coop. And, uh, and so rolled that out. Um, and we've done all of these in a very systematic approach, you know, one store, four stores, eight stores, mm. then 30 something stores, then rolls out. And ultimately, the only kind of uh, governor we put on it is we've got several of our locations that are um, have have done and continue to do extraordinary sales. Um, and so we've uh, backed down. So we do out of our 151 uh, restaurants, we have our virtual brands in 145. And the wow. other restaurants just have such high sales volume that we don't want to overstress. Yeah. And then we did things like, you know, Mother's Day. Uh, we just turned the switch off and said, we're not doing the virtual brands on mother's day. Mm. Take care of the people that are in the restaurant or off premise. So we're very mindful of that. Uh, we've had to buy in a couple of our stores, an extra fryer. Yeah. <laughs> for fryer tenders, yeah. Uh, and tots. Um, and then we went from that to, um, uh, dockside Charlie's, which mm -hmm. is seafood based. So we do great seafood, um, uh, fried or grilled. Um, our CTX ovens help us. We can, we can, we put grilled yeah. fish through really well. And our cedar plank salmon is extraordinary, but we took our cedar plank salmon and we did 
a mango salsa, you know, right. kind of thing. And, and then something else and then something else. And then we did some sandwiches, um, with our baguettes that you don't have in, in, in the right. rest. And so we just kept, it just became this whole, keep it going. Mm-hmm. And we did, uh, we just launched, uh, underground chucks, which is a hamburger concept. Oh, very and, cool. And, and, uh, it's, but it's not, it's not just, you know, it's not a bacon cheeseburger. It's, you know, it's got, uh, cheese squares, uh, pepper jack cheese squares and onion tanglers and avocado and, Man. you know, it's, you know, this big, and, you know, I'm not sure how anybody eats it. Knife and fork. Yeah. But, uh, but we had fun with it and we're continuing to have fun with it. And, you know, those three, we've got two more on the way, but those three are accounting for about six stores worth of volume. Mm. So, you know, wow. if you've got 150 stores and you've got six stores worth of volume and you didn't invest any more capital, you didn't build a building, you didn't yeah. sign a lease, you didn't. Um, and the profitability side of it is we've already got the building. We've already got the rent. We've got the utilities, all those sorts of things. Yeah. We've worked the economics. It's been really a lot of fun. And the interesting part is it's been energizing to the team. Mm. They get excited about it because they're thinking more sales, more cash flow, more mm. cash flow. We all do better. They get the, you know, well, yeah. the side of it works for them, but also just the, the sense of growth. I mean, yeah, you've absolutely. been around this business a long time. You, you grow or you're on yep. the decline toward yep. yeah. most likely not going to survive. You might be able, if you have all kinds of perfect leases and things, you might manage it through, but ultimately yeah. you got to grow. And so this gives us a growth opportunity. And I think the energy behind it is fun. And again, we talk, we've got three, we've got two more coming, maybe six, three more coming. Um, but again, our question is how do we do that with how we maintain the integrity of, of our brand of, of Charlie's, and our, and our execution, which is so critical. Yeah, I mean, Lee, you said it uh, earlier, but it, it was about getting green pieces of paper. Like, you needed dollars. It wasn't necessarily about executing, you know, can't provide the hospitality, can't do it. Okay, but we need some money, so let, let's figure that out. So you see then, I, I guess it's it's safe to say that you see these virtual brands as, as part of your plan for the foreseeable future? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, so much so that we're starting to look at um, – our ability to extend ourselves as O'Charlie's and the virtual brands yeah. into, you know, some areas where, uh, again, the unfortunate uh, outcome of the pandemic is so many restaurants didn't survive uh, right. for lots of reasons. And so, you know, there's, there's plenty of restaurants and, and locations you know, that, that have kitchen equipment and they just, you know, landlords are looking around going, yeah. who's coming. Yeah. Uh, so we might be able to do that. So we're starting to explore, I mean, you could call it a ghost kitchen. Mm-hmm. I would call it just a, you know, commissary right. operation of kitchen Yep. Uh, where we go in and say, you know, we'll turn on, uh, Oh, Charlie's online. We'll turn on coop and run. We'll turn on dockside Charlie's. We'll turn on underground chucks yep. and we'll just have people come. We won't, we, we're not expe- expecting that we'll do that with a dine in experience, but mm-hmm. a lot of off premise. Um, and if the economics are right with, relative to the location, then, and we can again continue to extend ourselves and not overstress uh, our existing locations yep. and our staff, but also again, again, get the sales. It's all it's about you. You said it's about the green. Yeah, you gotta go get the green. Yeah, you drive sales for sure. And do you? I mean, I've always thought about these call them ghost kitchen virtual brands, but I, I agree with you. When the way that you're talking about it is kind of like a ghost kitchen commissary setup. I've always thought that for some of these emerging groups, to it's a great way to test new markets. 
So like, hey, I can pop this up for 50 grand or 75 grand as opposed to 750 grand to get this door open. Is that something you, I mean, I know you guys are have pretty well covered uh, territory, but is that something you'd consider with some of these newer brands or even, you know, the, the brick and mortar stores? Yeah, I think I think we could do that and we could do that. I think we still have plenty of, of green space uh, in terms of our existing footprint um, for O'Charlie, but also as you go outside of that and then, you know, then that, then you start talking about the, you know, the ability to franchise it. Mm, right. And, yeah. And, and create a framework to say, here's listen, you can to your point, you know, you want to be a franchisee of X or Y brand and it takes a lot of money to build the building and outfit the building and you guarantee this and da da da. Or you could come and do this package uh, of, of restaurant brands out of a location that's, mm -hmm. you know, 2000 square feet yep. <laughs> or less. Um, and really all you need is our, you know, our technology and, and our systems and our supply chain and our mm -hmm. equipment that we can help you get and go. Um, mm -hmm. And so it could be attractive. I, I think that's the, that's the next part of this in terms of, of thinking mm -hmm. through what are the possibilities that we could do to extend ourselves because we're in 17 states, which is great. Yep. Uh, but that means there's a whole lot of states we're not in yet. <laughs> right. And, um, um, and so I, I would love for us to see that. And again, you know, it will come back, I think, in some respects, like it always is to supply chain and our ability. You know, if, if they're going to be good chicken tenders, then we want to have control of that, like any right. franchisor. Right. Right. Um, and so you, it, it's easier to, to grow out from that. But I, I think we could do that. And, and, and again, the, the fun part is, you know, it's a great opportunity to consider. And we've got the team that can execute that should we decide to go in that direction. Yeah, I, I love I love it. I think it's um, you know, an opportunity for people who do do it right, you know, like you guys are doing it there as a, a viable business opportunity. But I do see some of these brands, I tell the story all the time. There's like a gas station convenience store over here. Mm -hmm. It's about a mile from my house. And there's a piece of paper, handwritten piece of paper, and they've got this brand, this brand, this brand, and the guy's outside smoking cigarettes all the time. And somebody said, Well, that's why they're not gonna work. I said, Well, that's why they're not gonna work for this guy. Well, there's a practical application that you're using, which I think is obviously smarter. And I, and I think the franchise model is, is a phenomenal idea. Well, and I think it goes back to the, the online presence, um, you know, your ability to communicate via social media, yep. um, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all those sorts of things and connect people. Um, you know, that's why we worked hard. Uh, we just rolled out uh, Patronix. So we have an O'Charlie's app now. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can, we, we know when you show up that, that if you log, you know, if you, check in. We know that we can mm -hmm. more personalize your experience and, and we're still in the infancy of that. But again, it's all about spreading. Um, and I think more so now kind of in more non-traditional marketing media ways. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, you see these, you see these guys on platforms like TikTok and Instagram, just the, doing business off the platform. Just it's, it's incredible. It's incredible what the, the, the virality of some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to just close with one last thing. I don't know if you guys are, if you guys are dealing with this in any of the states you're in, but in the state that I'm in, which is New York, uh, today, uh, everybody has to have a vaccine to get into the, into, into the space, uh, into any restaurant. Are you guys, is that an issue for you guys anywhere? Or how, how would you be handling that if that's, if that's, uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's been the, the constant moving target. Yeah. Right. Um, hard to know. Um, you know, we've got, we've got a whole, great group of folks that kind of monitor and, and manage a rent around who said what and you know, mask or not mask or yeah. vaccines or not vaccines. And uh, I just saw the other day where, um, you know, more than a couple of companies said you have to have a vaccine to work here. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, we're we're still a little unclear um, from yeah. a legal standpoint and a uh, HIPAA standpoint how yeah, you right. manage yeah. that. Right. Um, and so we're 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 watching it, and we yeah. will. You know, our our kind of standard rule uh, since the start of this has been, uh, or it is our rule, uh, is you know, what does the CDC say? Yeah. And we're going to do it. Um, yeah. So if we have to do masks, we have to, and then, you know, that, you know, went from the broad CDC down to, you know, states and then cities and then inside and some, yeah. city, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, and, and so, uh, you know, what we've been focused on is making sure we comply. Yeah. We, we want our team um, and our guests to understand that we are absolutely committed to do the best we can with all we know and, and what anybody says is the best class best in class action against that yeah um you know i think it's really interesting and, and, and certainly has been a concern as this you know kind of resurgence of covid and the delta variant has come back what does that mean for us all um and i think it means for us all continue to be diligent yeah uh, you know I, I, somebody was talking the other day and i said you know i don't think um I may have washed my hands more in 2020 than I did in all the years before yeah. that, um, you know, and, and used hand sanitizer and, and yeah. all of that. So whether it was wearing a mask or hand sanitizing or for us in our stores being very uh, visual about mm -hmm. our cleaning and yeah. our cleaning protocols and, and kind of almost exaggerated um, to a point uh, and probably exaggerated uh, where we say, you know, we're, we understand this is, uh, still an uncertainty for us all. So how yeah. do we do our best in it? And I, you know, I, I don't know where that ends up. Um, and, and I think the challenge for everybody, whether, whether it's you in New York or us in Tennessee, you know, the government authorities are different yeah. <laughs> at every level from, from yeah. the national all the way down, yeah. even yeah. to the city. I mean, we, we, you know, Tennessee is one of those weird, uh, states where we have 95 counties. And we had rules for 89 counties and we had different rules for the other six counties and the other six counties didn't all have the same rules. And so for, for, for a business owner yeah. uh, and an operator of anything, Jeez. you were like, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right, so I've got a store and it's a mile across the County line and I've got to do this versus that, man. But, yeah. but, you know, I think that's, um, that's been the challenges I think for all business owners and, and, yeah. And, and for restaurants, particularly as, as we're so consumer facing, uh, hopefully, um, and, and certainly we like uh, having customers in our restaurant. But in any event, whether we're doing it off premise or, or on premise, it's still a challenge to make sure that we demonstrate the, the highest regard for their safety and, and our team's safety. Yeah, of course. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to say, you know, we have a lot of independent restaurant folks on here who, who you know, manage, you know, three to 10 locations. And I always say to them, Look at what the big guys are doing. Look at how they're handling things. And maybe you can't implement some of the things they do, but look at the way, look at some of the things that Craig said here. There's a lot to be taken from this episode in terms of how to handle your business. Um, uh, if you have one unit, 10 units, there, there's take away, the takeaways are the same. And, and the process the process may be different at that scale, but you, you guys know what I'm talking about. So Craig, thank you so much for sharing that. And it's um, been a tough time, but I'm glad to see that you guys have navigated through and, and I'm excited to watch the growth of these virtual brands. Well, thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. And, and uh, best wishes to you and, and, and to those independent operators. Uh, again, it's you're exactly right. The struggle is real. It's a struggle every day. It's every meal period. It's yep. your staffing. It's your food. It's your food supply. 
it's your food cost. Everything's the same. And again, scale may help at times, but ultimately it's about taking care of your people. Um, and, and our admonition has been not take care of your people, but take care of yourself. Yeah. And so I know those independent owners have probably worked uh, more hours in 2020 than they ever worked. Yeah. Uh, our admission to all has been just, just take care. So thanks again for your time. And I appreciate your interest in us. Absolutely, Craig. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Hey guys, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle and Sarah, and this is the number one and fastest growing podcast for independent restaurant owners in the entire world. I think I said, man, you know what? I, I used to say universe. It's in the universe. No one. No one has tried to take the title yet, so we are still number one, and I'm holding on to it till at least the end of 2021 and beyond. So take that. Hope you guys are doing well. I am doing um I'm barely holding on because we moved this week. And my God, I'm not. I think movers are one of the most underrated, underappreciated jobs in this country. I am so freaking sore. It's unbelievable. So if you know a mover, get them a really great Christmas present. Get them uh Tip them heavy because you try to do that on your own. It is a nightmare. We had we got them for the like a lot of the big stuff, and we're like, we'll just move some of these boxes. What's the big deal? It's a huge deal, and it sucked. So, but look, we're coming up on the end of the year. A lot going on. Got the Christmas stuff. Got the holiday season. Hanukkah's underway. Hopefully, you guys have started booking parties. You're catering. And look, I said it before. I said it before back in september that you needed to use that time september october november to build your email list that is such a huge thing because now you can be blasting out to people about what you got going on catering packages private parties you know private event spaces all that stuff so hopefully at least one of you guys are taking advantage of that so i'd love to uh Love to hear about it if you are, because that's a real indication of things turning around, right? People want to get back to their parties. They want to get back to doing all the things that we were doing. And it's uh, looking like that's the way it's going, at least the way it is here in New York. I know other parts of the country, same thing. So that's awesome. Um, Today is episode number 94 with Craig Barber. Craig is the CEO and board member at Restaurant Growth Services. They own um, O'Charlie's Holdings, 99 Restaurants, and a couple other concepts. But overall, he is just a tremendous resource when it comes to multi-concept franchisees, uh, franchisor stuff. Um, he's been on the board of a lot of different uh, franchise groups. He, I believe he even owned and operated his own Denny's. So even as an independent restaurant owner, I think it's important to understand franchises because of the systems that they have how they're able to take a concept and just blast out so many units it's because they have systems so even if you are an independent restaurant owner don't shut this show off listen up he's got he's a very cool southern dude knows what's going on uh has been around the block as they say and there's always something to learn so hopefully you guys enjoy craig barber the ceo of restaurant growth services Thank you for checking out episode number 94. We are inching our way to episode 100, which is super exciting. I want to just take a second here to thank the sponsors of this show, Seven Shifts, Tap the Table, and of course, Bento Box. 
You guys need to take advantage of what they're offering for you. So click the links in the show notes. Make sure you reach out, enter the promo codes, get your discounts, and look, tell them that Kyle sent you and you're here and you want it all. Do not let them off the hook. Tell them you want it all. You want all the good stuff. Uh, but yeah, great people, great products. Um, and I think that you'll be extremely satisfied with what what they have to offer you. So um, thank you to my sponsors once again, and thank you to you guys for listening. And um, get on your Christmas shopping. Don't wait till the last minute. Why are you waiting to wait till the last minute? Just get it done. Get it done. Go. Stop. Stop listening. Why are you still listening? Get it done. <laughs>